Welcome to This is Texas Wine. I'm Shelley Wilfong, a Dallas-based wine educator, writer, and Texas wine enthusiast. On this podcast, we take a deep dive into the Texas wine industry. I review Texas wine news and bring you the news, education, and information you need to be a more informed Texas wine drinker. Thank you for joining me on this Texas wine journey. This is episode eight. On today's episode, I'm talking to Roxanne Myers of the Lost Oak Winery in Burleson about the efforts to save Texas wineries. That's a new Texas winery pack or political action committee that was recently created to develop grassroots support for wineries and also to raise funds for related efforts, including supporting pro-wine industry candidates and office holders. Find out more during the interview with Roxanne. But first, Texas wineries are in the news. There's a lot of news about William Chris Vineyards this week. First, Chris Brendret, co-founder of William Chris Vineyards, was named one of wine enthusiasts' 40 under 40 tastemakers of 2020. He's 36 years old, by the way. Wine enthusiast defines a tastemaker as someone who is making change now, no matter how long they've been in the industry. In the write-up about Chris, wine enthusiast says, the Texas native and co-founder of William Chris Vineyards and Yes We Can Wine has been a driving force behind the Texas wine industry. A vocal and tireless advocate for real Texas wine, a grassroots movement to promote wines made from 100% Texas-grown fruit and terroir, Brundret continues to campaign hard for legislation that ensures wine labeled with a Texas appellation are 100% Texas-grown. He produces serious wine from grapes like Morvedra and Petit Verdot, which thrive in Texas soils, as well as wines that are seriously fun, from pet gnats to cans of Yes We Can Sway Rosé. Side note, the last time a Texas winery owner or winemaker made the list was in 2015 when the infinite monkey theorem's Ben Parsons slid in at age 39. The August 22nd William Chris Vineyards virtual tasting event had a fun surprise. Bill Blackman, the William part of William Chris Vineyards, hopped onto the Facebook Live to congratulate his business partner and his best friend for making the wine enthusiast 40 under 40 list. It was really a touching moment. Chris Brundrat mentioned that when Bill had called to congratulate him a few days earlier, that he had had to go into the other room because he was getting a little teary-eyed. You should check it out. It's really sweet. And in more William Chris Vineyards news, Senior Director of Marketing for William Chris Vineyards, Leah Durton, participated on a panel for the Virtual Wine Media Conference last week. She was one of four winery panelists, and the others were industry heavyweights from across the U.S. They were Craig Camp from Troon Wines in Oregon, Joyce Sterling from Iron Horse in Sonoma, and Megan Frank from Dr. Constantine Frank Winery in the Finger Lakes. The panelists all talked about how their wineries had been handling the pandemic and shifting to virtual tastings. This isn't the first time William Chris Vineyards has gotten great press for having good virtual events. Leah said that the virtual events had been under consideration even before the pandemic, but they were put into place rather quickly when it had become clear that the tasting room was going to be closed. She had time at the end of her talk to give a huge shout out not only to William Chris Vineyards, but also to Texas Wine in general and especially to Chris, whose inclusion in the 40 Under 40 had just been announced. The audience for that event was several hundred wine writers, so that's always a nice audience to be in front of. A different article in this month's Wine Enthusiast is called Fan of Chardonnay and Pinot Grigio, It's Time to Give Vermentino a Try. 
And that article also mentions Texas wine. It talks about Vermentino from Dukeman Family Winery, Pedernales, Spicewood, Bingham, and yes, William Chris Vineyards. Always nice to be mentioned, along with Vermentino from California and Australia. Many of you were voting repeatedly for the Texas Hill Country in the online competition for Best Wine Region in the U.S. The results are out, and the Texas Hill Country came in number five. The top ten winners in the category Best Wine Region are Walla Walla Valley, Washington, Valley de Guadalupe in Baja, California, the Finger Lakes in New York, Temecula Valley, California. Those are the ones that finished ahead of the Texas Hill Country. And the top 10 was rounded out by Monticello, Virginia, Lodi, Sonoma, and Paso Robles, California, and Verde Valley, Arizona. Those rounded out the top 10 best wine regions in the U.S., A panel of experts partnered with the 10 best editors to pick the initial nominees, and then the top 10 were determined by popular vote. There was also a competition for the 10 best wine country hotels, and the new Carter Creek Winery Resort and Spa in Johnson City finished number four. They were the only winner in the state of Texas. I saw a little teaser on Instagram that I'm super excited about. Apparently, D Magazine has an upcoming feature cover story on Texas wine. Eve Hill Agnes is the dining critic at D Magazine, and she posted a few pictures of harvesting at Abastris Winery, just like I did. And it looks like she also spent time at Lewis Wines and the High Market and at Calais Wines. I can't wait to see her article. Eve is a great writer, and she's also a fellow Texan volunteer. It's probably not that unusual to have a cover story about Texas wine in a magazine in Central Texas, or maybe even in Houston, but it's a pretty big deal in Dallas. A few episodes ago, in my report on Texas wine and grapevine, I mentioned that the Umbra Winery had closed down its grapevine tasting room and consolidated its operations to its vineyard location in Springtown. Well, this news is just in. The Landon Winery is going to be taking over at the old Umbra space on Main Street in Grapevine. This will be the fifth location of Landon Winery. I think that's a record number of locations for a Texas winery. If you know of a winery with more locations, let me know. Currently, Landon has tasting rooms in Coppell, Greenville, McKinney, and Wiley. Messina Hoff is preparing to open its fourth location, but I think Landon has them beat by opening a fifth. And that's the Texas Wine News. I love hearing from podcast listeners, and I've gotten some fun messages on Instagram and on email, and I want to share a few of those with you. Just a quick note to tell you what a big impact you've had in your first few episodes. I love the podcast, and I always pick up something new from each episode. On one episode, you mentioned that one way we could support the wineries during COVID was to join a wine club. I saw that Spicewood was doing a virtual tasting, and I decided to order the wines and join the wine club. Imagine my surprise when my wines were hand-delivered by Ron Yates himself. The PR was priceless, and I'll probably be a wine club member forever. I can't wait to visit them in person. Thanks so much for the podcast. Here's another. Thanks for the podcast. It's something I've been looking for for a while. I work in the food industry, and I'm learning about wine and viticulture. To be honest, I'm looking forward to doing something similar to your podcast, but in Spanish, my first language. And finally, I love this podcast. I am in the California grape and agriculture industry and have been extremely interested in moving to Texas. Listening to This is Texas Wine has been extremely informative. 
I've also gotten someone write in and say they wanted to be my co-host. So that's fun, too. Anyway, I'd love to hear from you. So please reach out if you have feedback or suggestions about the show. I'd also love it if you would review the show on Apple Podcasts so that people looking for a wine podcast might give this one a listen. And if you have any questions that you'd like to have answered on the show, please send them my way. When I get enough, I'm planning to do a listener questions episode. My email is texaswinepod at gmail.com or send a message on Instagram or Facebook. Last week, I had the opportunity to talk to Roxanne Myers, president of Lost Oak Winery in Burleson. Roxanne is the president-elect of the Texas Wine and Grape Growers Association, and she talked to me not only about what has been going on at Lost Oak, but also about what has transpired with an organization called Save Texas Wineries. You may have seen the ads for Save Texas Wineries, or perhaps seen the many questions on the Facebook groups about what exactly that organization is. Roxanne provides some background information about what to expect as this effort gets started. I'll be back at the end of the interview to share some additional information I've collected. Now here's Roxanne. Glad to have you on the podcast today to talk about the formation of Save Texas Wineries. So as we're getting started, can you just tell me a little bit about who you are and what you do at Lost Oak Winery? Yes, my name is Roxanne. I'm currently president of Lost Oak Winery and probably president for the foreseeable future. This is not my baby. My The founder is Gene Estes. He's my stepfather. Um, he started making wine and growing grapes in his back. I mean, growing grapes in his backyard, making wine in his bathtub. And he, he started that as he started um, his travels when he was younger um, and adopted growing grapes in Texas over 30 years ago. And he was a membership member of the Texas Wine and Grape Growers Association, or what we call TWIGA. He became a member of TWIGA, um, opened up his, uh, started growing grapes, opened up his winery and recruited family. So I started with the organization 13 years ago. So I've been working in Lost Oak Winery for 13 years and started in the tasting room and kind of worked my way up. So I pretty much understand um, all of the business. And he now has retired, uh, but he did serve as president of Twiga, and so did our winemaker. He's celebrating his 40th harvest this year. 2020 will be his 40th harvest, harvest in Texas. So he has a lot of experience growing grapes in Texas and making wine from, from Texas fruit. So we have a huge wealth of knowledge on our team and a lot of history and a lot of experience on our team and me 13 years. So you do the math in terms of cumulative experience. Um, it's over 90 years. So um, we are pretty much a boutique winery. We make we concentrate on Texas only and boutique wines. Um, we have a sister uh, winery and tasting room in Fredericksburg called Four Point Oh Cellars, uh, and and we do a lot of uh, warm climate varietals and some vinifera. Uh, but I feel like we have a lot of award winning wines. I can attest to the quality of our winemaking um, because I don't make it, give, giving them the credit for where credit is due. But we we enjoy it. We have a really good time. It's a lifestyle for me. Um, I work with my family. We live on the live on the property, and it's an opportunity to to travel too. So we also host international tours um, to Chile and Argentina wine country and France. Uh, we've been to or working on Switzerland a little bit. Uh, so that's been really fun to be able to get to do that 
and take our members and our guests um, on those kinds of um, experiences and excursions. So that's exciting. So you mm-hmm. live in Burleson? Live in Burleson. Excellent. Mm-hmm. So you're the president-elect of TWIGA, is that yes. correct? Yeah. When does your term start? February. Oh, yeah. that should be yeah. an exciting time because mm-hmm. not only are we uh, hopefully going to be on the tail end of COVID, but we'll be starting a new session in the state legislature. Yes, the COVID, the post-COVID era. See how that looks for the economy and for business and for Texas wines. So it'll be a very interesting legislative session. Yes. How has Lost Oak Winery fared during COVID thus far? What's your current status and how has it been going there? Well, um, there's a lot of things that have been changing in the Texas wine industry. And this has been, this whole COVID crisis has been a week by week change, right? So every week there's some new opportunity to opportunity, whether it be to close and convert to curbside and direct ship to our guests or our customers or open back up in some sort of limited capacity. Um, I would say it was very exciting. We're, we're now in COVID 3.0. COVID 1.0 at Lost Oak Winery was, hey, um, this is going to be scary. People are going to be coming in. Let's make sure we keep things clean and make people feel safe um, until we got total shutdown. And then we changed our business model 180 degrees to curbside and delivery. And we got on the phones and started doing um, phone sales and phone marketing campaigns. Um, and so we turned our, turned our business on a dime, if you will. So we had to learn all those procedures, processes, and methods, um, to reach our consumers. Then we turned into a video marketing company, right? So we're constantly taking videos to, to stay in touch with our guests and our members. Then we got reopened a bit. Um, it was a little bit of a hiccup, I think, an interpretation from the TABC. We were able to kind of change the, the, the limits of our premises and offer, wine in certain areas of the property, but that was quickly reneged. And now we're at COVID 3.0, which is now we're reopen, much like a restaurant. Um, and now it's 51% of our sales have to be food or other kinds of sales, like cover charges for concerts or room rentals or accessory sales and food, right? So that's another shift in our business. So one of the things I do feel though, as farmers and as uh, winemakers and just in the industry that we're in, I think that's a lot of it's prepared us for these kinds of snafus and this kind of environment because it's not like a late freeze or a hailstorm on your crop can shatter things from one moment to the next and you're constantly adapting and trying to trying to manage crises. Um, you get a freeze and you're putting or your, your wine, your grapes come in and it's not good fruit or it's got rot or uh, you blend a wine and it referments in the bottle. So you're dumping wine out or you're blending or you're fixing it. So you're constantly running into, you know, what you could call a crisis or a big problem that you're trying to solve. Um, Texans are resilient people, <laughs> I would say. They're, um, they're business-minded, they're commercially-minded, both our farmers and our wineries. Um, and a lot of strong personalities in the Texas wine industry. And I think, you know, nobody, they're not, they didn't get in this to, to take it easy and have a little cushy retirement project, right? There's a lot of hard work that goes into it. And those kinds of personalities that, that understand that environment and understand are, are willing to take on that challenge, 
are the kind of people you that go through COVID crisis and, and survive and come out on the other side. So as long as, you know, you're in it for the long haul. Tell me about how Twiga has been trying to keep wineries informed of the changing landscape of what's been going on and, and the different pieces of information you're getting about what wineries are allowed to do or not allowed to do and how that's been shifting and changing over the weeks. It's a week by week thing. And in fact, um, it's minute by minute, day by day. So much like a legislative session where you're, a bill's you know, on, sitting on somebody's desk that could potentially harm our industry and we got to get information fast and deliver information very quickly, we've been in kind of reactionary mode. Um, I say that to, it, to an extent, reactionary from the get, in the beginning, and now we're definitely a more proactive mode to we know who the key players are, we know who the governor is listening to, We have great relationships with the TABC. We have great relationships um, with a lot of our representatives. We have representatives that are huge fans of the Texas wine industry. So in constant, having our ear to the ground and constant communication with them um, has helped us deliver um, information in a timely manner, um, as well as running our own business, right? (laughs) During harvest, no less. During harvest, no less. So don't forget that you know, we, we've had to, our Twiga staff has now very lean. We have one part-time staff person and then a great executive director that has been willing to be furloughed, but uh, been there um, as kind of a liaison for us. So, you know, together making sure we're receiving the information, processing the information, and then putting it out to our membership in, in the best format possible with the understanding that, that we're not getting legal advice, but these are opportunities for you. And when it comes to, well, especially in the beginning, came to all those SBA programs and the Paycheck Protection Program that came out of the federal government, getting the right people to inform our membership about the opportunities out there for financial help, um, setting up video casts, webinars, Zoom calls, and just emails with correct documentation. And it may not always be long-lasting information because things are changing all the time, but at least working with the information that we've been given to get that communication out as quickly as possible, serving as a resource, right? So as things have been developing, at some point, I understand a, a group of wineries decided we have to do more and there may be a different way to go about Mm-hmm. affecting change. Can you talk about how that decision was um, formulated and what happened next? Well, um, about a month ago, or maybe during COVID, what I called COVID 2.0, where we were shut down with bars, um, that was kind of the first um, sign that we were being misunderstood as an industry. It wasn't, we thought, fair to group Texas wineries in with bars, right? And it it was a bit either a misconception or an unfair grouping of putting us with just a general drinking establishment. And at that point, I think we poked the sleeping bear, right? And we all got up and said, no, 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 this is not right, right? So campaigning to where we thought proper channels, right? The TABC, saying, okay, no, this is not fair. Don't put our permit in with the bar permit. That's not the right thing. And then understanding the relationship between the governor's office and his executive orders and how the TABC was working with those executive orders, understanding that relationship was critical 
path and understanding where our power of influence was, right? So like I said earlier that we worked closely with the TABC, in the latest executive order, I want to say it's 28, okay, the latest executive order from the governor's office has been the longest standing probably executive order since this COVID shutdown. And we received some intel that he is not going to issue another executive order, either loosening any restrictions or tightening any more restrictions, unless, either, unless the, the numbers start to improve. So he has a clear barometer on what, what those numbers need to be, either in positivity rate, so the number of people that are tested that actually test positive, or the hospitalization. So how many people are being put into hospitals and how many free hospital beds there are. So that number as of up to about two weeks ago was going up and up and up. And since it's plateaued and even dipping probably in the last two weeks, he wasn't going to do anything. When we learned that, and I'm talking about a month ago, we realized our efforts are going to have to be put elsewhere, right? And so even we've got great representatives in, that are allies to the Texas wine and grape industry in the House and the Senate. So conversing with them, asking for letters from them, from Sid Miller, the Texas Ag Commissioner, the Comptroller's Office, my personal House and Senate representatives in my district, Dwayne Burns and Brian Birdwell have been great to work with. Drew Springer is a great representative. Senator Jane Nelson has been a great in Commissioner uh, Lilly. Commissioner Lilly have been great allies to our industry. But as long as those numbers kept, I guess, rising and rising, we knew we weren't going to get any headway with the governor's office. He's just he was, wasn't going to move. So we were going to we needed to mobilize on a grassroots level and reach out to our members, our guests, our fans, our advocates. The people that shop with us, love us, follow us, talk about us, those are going to be the real storytellers. Those are going to be the ones that that the governor needs to hear. So uh, born out of that was a need for a, a legitimate grassroots campaign on social platforms, on an online platform, um, not standing at the Capitol. We wanted to um, not march, I guess. So maybe do it in the most effective way. So um, born out of that was savetexaswineries.org. So have you moved away from not a bar? Or is that still also a, a message that you're sending and trying to also work that angle? Well, I guess that's been received. It's a bit of a mixed bag, right? I think... Our representatives and the governor understand that we're not bar. They don't not understand how we're different from a bar. So I feel like that message has been heard. Now you could, that's maybe subjective. That could be just my opinion, but I do feel that that message has been heard. But again, as they're seeing cases rises, they're not going to do anything, right? Just the timing, so, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Okay. Perhaps. So the website is up, and I noticed that when you visit the website, there's a listing of 20 or so wineries and also some tour companies and Twiga that are listed as supporters, and you can click on those and make donations, and then there are also some ways that you can contact your elected representatives. What is your goal for getting uh, the grassroots efforts started, and how do you see this rolling out? What do you want people to do? What we want 
people to do if you are a Texas winery or a grape grower, right? And, and hopefully a Twiga member, right? Since we're um, supporting this cause, um, you go on there and join, right? So you set up a website that's for a, home, a landing page for your winery. So if you go to lostickwinery.com, you'll see on my homepage, there's a button that that looks like savetexaswineries.org. It's the logo, right? And I'm driving our guests and our members, right, the Lost Oak guests and members, to donate, right? And donate supports a social media and grassroots advocacy campaign in the form of swag, T-shirts and screws and chotskis that, that say Save Texas Wineries, and the form of social media, paid social media campaigns to reach out to our representatives and others to support the cause. Um, it, it, you can go in and hit a, with the click of a button, send a letter to your, uh, your personal representative, right? Uh, so let me back up. So the winery would set up this website to put on their own website and this landing page um, for their guests and their members and their fans to go to, right? And then if I'm an individual, so my, my, my member, my wine club member named Susie Smith goes on and donates, she can send a letter to the representative in her community, of her community, her uh, district or her precinct, um, to advocate for Texas wineries and, and, and t- send the message that we're trying to send to the governor's office, which is you're affecting an entire supply chain. Right, we we Texas farmers depend on us to buy their for their livelihood to buy their crop and to sell to sell wine. And there's a lot of ancillary suppliers and businesses that are affected by this 13 billion dollar industry. There's tourism companies, bottle suppliers, hotels, restaurants, um, you name it. Um, and, and, and we're tourism, we're a tourism industry, we're manufacturing and tourism and agriculture. So you're having a bigger impact than you think by shutting Texas wineries down because we provide jobs in many other industries. So you can donate and that helps the social media platform. Um, it helps go to a, a, a public relations firm and campaign. Um, it helps get the word out on Twitter, on Instagram, on, on Facebook. And send letters to your representatives in the form of advocacy. So you're participating as a winery president and also as the president-elect of Twiga because Twiga has also joined in this effort and is partnering with Save Texas Wineries. Correct? Yes. Correct. And Twiga, I believe, is hosting um, sessions for wineries to learn how to join in the and the efforts to set up websites and to encourage their memberships and wine wine club members and so forth to get on board. Right. So there is a gentleman uh, that's a lobbyist and ethics attorney that's kind of put all this concept together. Um, he approached us. He has a um, advocacy company that he's using to manage the social media platforms and the and and the online platform that gets this message out and another public relations firm. So. Uh, they are hosting the webinar. We are partnering and pushing this out to our membership and they can go to that webinar that's hosted by another a third party 
that can guide you in how to set up that website, how to most effectively campaign um, via email or social or Twitter or just calling your representatives. Have you been encouraged by the response from wineries? I believe that there's always a period, especially with COVID, since everything's changing and everything's new, there's always a, a, a period of, I always call it the knowledge confidence curve, right? With more knowledge builds more confidence. So as we, we just started the webinars really hosted for our Twig and membership this week. And I say that this week, so the week of August 17th. So that if there are any concerns, those can be addressed with the webinar. Of course, you can call all the Twigga, uh, your board members, right? Or the president, president-elect myself, and to explain it more. There was a bit of a learning curve for us also to understand who the players were, how much it cost, where the, where the, it, it, to run these kinds of campaigns, it's a very expensive thing to do, right? So to hire a, a public relations firm to, to get the right social media platforms, the right um, online platforms to deliver effective messaging to your representatives, all that, co that costs money. So understanding that the people behind the organization were solid and um, meant well and on the right path, Twiga was able to determine that we do think it's a very effective and good thing to, to support. I'm guessing that Twiga has used um, paid lobbyists on other issues in the past, or is this the first time that Twiga has done this kind of work with the PAC? No. So we do have a paid lobbyist for our organization. So we've been doing lobbying for numbers of years. And that lobbyist is always in a different form, right? Once it was an employee, now in, sometimes it's contract. Uh, but we as an organization, just in the industry that we're in, or any industry for that matter, definitely needs representation at the Capitol. Our lobbyist is fabulous, has great contacts and great connections. Frankly, I, I don't know if in the past we've ever had a need. I think that's, that point could be argued. That's a pretty strong opinion statement to say we never had a need for it. But I guess a not... We've never been shut down, right? And when I said you poke the sleeping bear, it's like, yeah, now you're affecting the livelihood of, of winery members, their families, their suppliers, their people that have supported us for years and years and years. And I think that that's the time. This is born out of a, a, a true need. So it's not like we've never done this before, never had to advocate before. But out of a legislative session, there's nothing been that has affected our business to such a degree besides a disastrous harvest. Well, perhaps this is the least contentious issue that could ever be before you. It should certainly be easier to get agreement on this issue than many others that could come before the wineries because everyone's shut down in some form or fashion and needs to reopen at full capacity as, as they were before. Yeah, I do. I do. There is some truth to that. There is. I mean, our membership's made up of grape growers too, right? So yeah, although they're sympathetic to our to Texas winery needs, right? That um, they they grow soy, they grow cotton, they grow other kind of row crops, and and have other things. So you know, it's not. They're very sympathetic. Um, 
they're hopefully to a degree diversified. So not everybody's going to lose because of it. But um, yes, you're right. In, In terms of contention and disagreement in in our industry, this is something that's really easy to support by most everybody involved. So the the next session of the legislature starts meeting in January, I believe. So do you anticipate that uh, the PAC will have movement in January on this? Or or what are you expecting in terms of timing? Uh, Well, I just have to probably uh, refer to what I said earlier. We we don't know what the governor's timing is. It really is going to depend on what those numbers look like. Um, it's likely that we're going to be shut down. Uh, let's see, we're going to be operating in the capacity that we're operating currently for a number of months, right? So this, hence the, the importance of this, path, this effort, savetexaswineries.org, which is we need to let them know this is really, the longer this goes on, the more this is going to hurt. This Effort will go until either the money runs out or we get reopened. And, you know, you and I, who's here to tell us when that's going to happen, right? So if we get reopened and that's during a legislative session and there's still um, bandwidth and uh, monies to spend on some other legislative issues that may pop pop up, then there might be some opportunity there. Maybe to recategorize wineries separate from bars. (laughs) Yeah, which that's not written anywhere, right? We've never been grouped with bars. What have I um, not asked about that you feel is important to share with listeners? Because I'm sure we'll have some winery folks listening as well as some general Texas wine drinkers. I would say if you don't choose to click on the donate button and send a letter to your own representative, there are easy ways to find out who your representative is, right? You can call me, you can go on um, government websites and find out, put in your address and see who your state and house representative is. You can use some of the verbiage on the SaveTexasWinery.org page or contact the Twig office or me or I'll send it to you. We have a format letter that you can send to your representative and show them and tell them why it's important that your local winery stay open or or get open. Um, That's the biggest thing you can do if you and you should do that for other things in your area, whether it's wastewater or, you know, environmental concerns or business concerns or school concerns, you really should know who your representative is um, to treat in your community, right? They make big decisions about your community. And this is affecting where you hang out. It is very, very easy. I did it myself with just a couple of clicks. And you can also personalize the letter so that it's a little more meaningful if you add something about yourself and Mm -hmm. um, what your personal concerns are. And then with just a few clicks, it goes to, you know, seven people that represent you in their various capacities um, at the state level and so forth. So yeah, I recommend can, that as well. Yeah. And use the hashtag, say Texas Wineries, um, or hashtag Texas Ledge, L-E-G-E, I believe it is. Um, so then you're sending that message to everybody who's following that. 
It's a social world, friends. We know we've realized that more than any any other time during the shutdown that we've got to be online and we've got to be in front of people in a very different way. Um, and this is going to allow us to do that. Well, I wish you all the best and, um, we'll be watching for more developments and I hope things, um, go well for you guys and harvest and as you're trying to figure out your new normal. Right. I would just say go local, support local. There's a lot of ways to support your Texas wineries that's not showing up on site. Because 9 out of 10 have a way you can buy online. And please continue to do that. We want you not to be drinking Kendall Jackson Chardonnay. We need to be drinking Texas wine. And if you're going to drink wine, you might, it might as well be Texas. I followed up with Roxanne to ask how the PAC would determine legislative priorities and make decisions. She let me know that the intent is to establish a board to manage funds and legislative priorities once wineries get open again and are operating as normally as possible. The board will be managed by primary stakeholders of the PAC, and the TWIGA president will also have a board position. You'll see on the Save Texas Wineries page that inquiries are directed to someone named Trey, Trey is Trey Blocker, the founder of Stalwart Strategies. I went to his website and learned that he is a native Texan with more than 20 years of political, legislative, and legal experience. He represents various clients ranging from small trade associations to Fortune 100 companies with issues before the Texas legislature and state agencies. He's also an ethics advisor for elected officials and candidates from both political parties, corporations, and PACs. He helps them maintain compliance with the state's campaign finance and legislative ethics laws. Trey went to UT Law School. He's worked for a former Texas governor, a Texas state senator, a top law firm, and he also founded his own law firm. Most recently, he founded Stalwart Strategies, and it's a full-service public affairs firm based in Austin. On Monday, August 24th, a joint news release announced the launch of the Texas Wineries Pack and Texas Craft Spirits Pack. It quoted both Patrick Whitehead of Blue Ostrich Winery, who's the president of Twiga, and Roxanne Myers, whose interview you just heard. I invite you to learn more by visiting www.savetexaswineries.org. Today I'm drinking the 2019 CL Buteau Ramado. But before I tell you about this specific wine, I'm going to tell you about Ramado wines in general. Although I had heard of Ramado, I couldn't really remember what that word meant. So I had to do a little research and refresh my memory. Ramado is the Italian word for copper or auburn, and that refers to the color of the wine. It looks a lot like a rosé, but it's actually not quite the same. That's because while a rosé is made from red grapes, Ramado is made from white grapes. The grapes are left on the skin for longer than most white wines are, and that's called skin contact. So Ramado is actually one kind of orange wine. Ramado is a style of producing Pinot Grigio, or Pinot Gris, in the Friuli region of Italy, which is near Venice, and it's been grown there for hundreds of years. There it's called Pinot Grigio, but of course the grape is called Pinot Gris in France, and that's where it originates. 
Pinot Gris has a grayish color to it. And so when the juice is left in contact with the skins, it picks up a lot of that color. For this wine, Randy Hester of CL Buteau uses Pinot Gris from West Texas. And he leaves the Pinot Gris on its skin for about four and a half days. One unique thing that he does with this wine is that before it starts its fermentation, he gives it a cold soak. That means he puts the grapes on dry ice for the trip from Lubbock to Fredericksburg, and then he puts it into a cold room for five to eight days. And he allows native yeast to go to work to start the fermentation. So there's not added yeast. He lets the yeast that's that's already on the grapes just go to work. He makes his wines at the Slate Mill Wine Collective there in Fredericksburg. And in an article for Austin 360 by Ariana Auber, Randy said about the cold soak, he said, I'm building aroma and texture and all that native funk, that wild kind of thing you get when you can spend more time with your wine. Not everyone does the cold soak because it takes a lot of work. I don't think it's something that's practiced a lot in Texas, taking that kind of time and maintaining that sort of longer effort. But my goal is to string it out. Wine is the ultimate slow food. He said, if I can control certain variables and still maintain that wild sensibility, the wines just sing. Right now, it's bright and crisp and juicy like a white wine would be. But then you get some savory elements like tomato leaf, maybe walnut, candied fruit. It's bone dry. So that lends then to more spicy characters, more earthy characters. It's still evolving, so I hesitate to nail down a description. In an article about Ramado that I read in Decanter magazine, the author states that Ramado wines are tremendously food-friendly and provide an excellent match to dishes as diverse as prosciutto, shellfish, white meat, and Asian cuisines, too. The article says it's a great wine for the wine lover who wants more from their Pinot Gris or Pinot Grigio. By the way, the wine is aged on the lees in stainless steel barrels for six months, so it doesn't see oak. As far as I can tell, it's got 12% alcohol. And it's available for $22 on the CL Buteau website and possibly at select retailers as well. On the nose, it's, it's really lovely. It's got a lot of stone fruit, but it's more savory than fruity. Randy's notes say sliced garden tomatoes, sweet basil, and sourdough bread, which sounds a lot like bruschetta, which actually sounds delicious. Um, but I get something that is a little bit more fruity than that. Um, maybe not all the way to sourdough bread, although there is a slight bit of funk to it. But it's, um, I would I would say stone fruit, and I would say a, a nutty characteristic as well. It's got a lovely nose. Uh, on the palate, it is a bit textural. You definitely get that there's been skin contact. It's, it's a weightier wine. Even with 12% alcohol, it's a weightier feel in the mouth. I agree that this is a great food wine, and I'm anxious to try it with my dinner soon. Um, but it's also nice for sipping. It's got a really long finish. The one really intense characteristic that it has is kind of a nuttiness. And I think that If you're familiar with the term phenolic bitterness, it's a very obvious characteristic that some wines have that on the finish, it has a slight bitterness. It's not a negative quality by any means, but it's just something that if you're blind tasting wines, it's a characteristic that there are only certain wines in the wine world that have this characteristic. And if you can pick it out, then you've narrowed down. It can only be certain wines. And Pinot Grigio is one wine that has a definite phenolic bitterness 
And if you're having trouble ever picking out exactly what that is, taste this wine because you will get phenolic bitterness. It's just a bit of a nutty character that, that really stands out to me. And it's it's lovely in the glass. When I first poured it and it was cold, it wasn't quite as obvious. But as it warmed up a bit in the glass, it became more obvious. I'm excited to try it with um, food. It's an interesting wine. I think that it's something that I'm going to just linger over and see how it changes in the glass. I think it's super fun. And I'm excited um, for Randy that he's getting into some kind of interesting and funky wines. Good job, Randy. I love it. Thanks to Jeff Cope and the Texas Wine Lover website for helping spread the word about this podcast. Don't forget to visit TXWineLover.com whenever you have a question about a Texas winery or a Texas vineyard. You can get great information about Texas wineries, and the website is also full of travel reports, winemaker interviews, and other blog posts from the Texas Wine Lovers writers. And just a few reminders, please go to my website for full show notes for this episode. And there are links to everything I talked about. While you're there, subscribe to my monthly email newsletter. As a thank you, I'll send you my document that includes the top 10 Texas wine experiences that I've had recently. You can do that at www.thisistexaswine.com and click newsletter sign up. Please subscribe to this podcast, and if you're using Apple Podcasts, give me a rating too, please. Subscribe in your podcast app so you won't miss our next episode. My website also tells you how to connect with me on social media. I'm at Texas Wine Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Thank you for listening to this episode of This is Texas Wine. Cheers, y'all. Cheers.